Throughout the month of June, we'll be asking you, the listener, to support radical, community-owned media during our Radiothon. We'll be taking donations online, over the phone and in the station to help keep us going for another year. Independent community media is more important than ever, and we need your support to power community radio. The 3CR Radiothon kicks off in June. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au, call the station on 03 or drop in at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy during business hours. 3CR Community Powered Radio. Bring me shelter, I will not harm you. Bring me shelter, please. Bring me shelter, I will not harm you. I would shelter you. People would do anything for their families. It could happen to anyone anytime. Somebody in France, somebody in England basically sat down with a ruler and just drew lines on maps. There are many different ethnic and religious groups that have been divided across borders, and this has caused a significant amount of conflict. There are a lot of people who need safety. It is really cruel for a country like Australia to have policies that are focused only on pushing people away. What we're seeing is a number of people that remain in a state of limbo. And when non-sustainable land use combines with climate change, the crisis of refugees... I wasn't able to go and play with children. I had to go and really be an adult from a very young age. I think that's something that a lot of migrant children can relate to. Really, it was a dream for me to reunite with my family. I was just praying and hoping that that day will come one day. I think it's very important for people to understand that people have their own dreams as well and they're wanting to change the world with everybody else. Refugee Radio, 855 AM, 3CR. We want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land who we are broadcasting from, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and respect the elders past, present and emerging and their ongoing struggle. Welcome to Refugee Radio this week on 3CR on 855 AM or on 3cr.org.au. So just a reminder that Radiothon is starting on 3CR tomorrow from the 7th until the 13th of June for a community language Radiothon and the general Radiothon is from the 14th to the 20th. We are actually going to be having a special Radiothon for Refugee Radio and we are actually going to be on the 19th of June on the Saturday between 1 and 1.30pm, which is the Tamil Manifest time. The Concrete Gang will be having an extended Radiothon show during our time, so you can always listen back if you miss it. So on this week's Refugee Radio, we're going to be listening to an interview done on Tuesday Home Time, which is on Tuesdays from 4 to 6pm with Jan, and... We're going to be listening to an interview from the Tamil Refugee Council with Barathon, and this is around the support from Australia on the Sri Lankan regime. 
Just remembering that on the 18th of May is Tamil Genocide Day. We didn't have any special program this year for that, but I thought this would be a good reminder of what has been going on in Sri Lanka and continues to be going on in Sri Lanka, especially for the Tamil community and those displaced. Hi, I'm Munira from Fitzroy Primary School, and you're listening to Community Radio on 3CR. I'm speaking once again with Barathan Vidhapathy. He's a Tamil Elam filmmaker and a member of the Tamil Refugee Council based in Melbourne, Australia. My first question to Barathon was, how far back can he trace Australia's support for the Sri Lankan regime to the detriment of the Tamil minority? You might be testing some of my knowledge. I guess as far back as I can remember, um, as I've established, it's at least in the in the Howard years, yeah, during their um, their immigration policy. But yeah, we're obviously looking back towards. Uh, uh, sorry, I currently don't know uh, further than that. But um, you know, obviously there's going to be definitely some um, you know trade and immigration uh, generally relations between the two countries. But yeah, it's only post kind of 2000 that um, I'm most knowledgeable about. Well, let's look at that. Howard time. Why was he so opposed for Tamils to come to Australia? Was it just because they were Tamils? Was it just because they were refugees? What was it? Well, I think this is a yeah. This might not be uh, the contention of a lot of other people, but I guess my personal opinion is, uh, I guess during that time, you know, there was uh, the conflict, uh, there was the invasion of uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. And I think that that was uh, a really good cover to, uh, for a lot of countries to uh, amp up hysteria about terrorism. Uh, that was obviously applied uh, a lot to liberation struggles around the world, and particularly in Sri Lanka. And obviously, uh, refugees, asylum seekers, uh, especially in Australia, is a very uh, contentious topic. It obviously riles up uh, the most, uh, unfortunately, the most uh, racist views uh, in the country and a lot of hysteria um, with just general working class people. And, uh, yeah, I think that just it was in his political bottom line to keep uh, his base uh, voting for him. And and that base was one that um, wanted to, you know, stem the tide of asylum seekers in any way possible. Are you aware of asylum seekers coming to Australia prior to the end of the civil war in 2009, or was it mainly after? My knowledge is uh, really just uh, in the closing years of that war and then uh, post that. And what was happening in those final years? Lots of uh, refugees were escaping, um, trying to escape the conflict because it seemed like... um, a lot of people who were um, associated with the uh, de facto Tamil state, because it seemed like, uh, unfortunately, they were on the losing end with um, the Sri Lankan military being supported by um, many uh, Western countries. And so uh, I guess uh, particularly there's a case of um, a woman called uh, Ranjani, who you might know. She came in the closing years of the war. Uh, she was detained with her two sons. She was released. But then after spending a year in the community, she was uh, taken back as she was uh, given a, a negative threat assessment. Yeah, basically wasn't told any um, specific information about why she was being detained again. She was part of the de facto state while she was living in Sri Lanka. But uh, yeah, was detained on basically minimal information by ASIO. She was pregnant at the time, ended up uh, having a, her third son uh, in detention. 
and ended up spending three whole years uh, in detention and then ended in 2015. And she was basically, and I think to this day, she's basically not been given um, accurate information as to why she was detained. And that arbitrary um, selection or lack of clarity is something that the Australian government has consistently done uh, towards Tamil refugees. That military support that you said that the West was giving Sri Lanka at the end of the war, do you know what Australia's role was? Well, I know that Australia uh, has given uh, arms and military equipment, particularly the Navy, Navy ships. Uh, that's been more prevalent post the war. But around that period, there has been um, reports of, uh, yes, arms and uh, yeah, naval equipment being sent. And then, um, yeah, that's ramped up uh, post the war and um, even more ramping up about uh, attempting to stop uh, Tamil uh, asylum seekers uh, fleeing Sri Lanka. Is it known how many Tamil asylum seekers have been returned and what's happened to them if they did return? I don't have the exact numbers. I think there's, there's a lack of clarity on the government's part as well. They have a, uh, a policy called uh, take-backs or, or turn-backs where basically they can be uh, Tamil refugees particularly but uh, among uh, other na- uh, nationalities that were fleeing, particularly from Indonesia trying to come to Australia, were given a, an assessment at sea and then uh, based on if they um, adhere to uh, what ASIO determined to be uh, valid refugees or uh, given the um, correct information, uh, if they weren't, they were turned back. There's not, uh, unfortunately, accurate numbers to say the, the detail uh, who was sent back or how many people were sent back. And especially now in the, in the last couple of years, there's obviously there's been very little information that the government has provided about these things. Like we know people still are fleeing. Um, but obviously it's not catching the media's attention and the government isn't necessarily being forthcoming about, you know, the continued uh, flow of asylum seekers because, um, you know, in, in their eyes they've stopped the boats and um, they want to stop it at that. They don't want any more attention being focused on uh, if there are refugees continuing to, to come. Has there been any ability to follow one of these people who have been returned to see how they have survived once they've gone back to Sri Lanka? Uh, I've read a few reports from um, people who returned, one by ABC, uh, another by The Guardian, I think. And, uh, yeah, people who have been returned have been subject to harassment and, and torture, torture because they may have been involved uh, with the de facto Tamil state or just because they're uh, considered that they're, you know, they're labelled as uh, people that were fleeing. and so. Um, yeah, the, the government in Sri Lanka arbitrarily will arrest people under the Prevention of Terrorism Act. They can detain people for up to uh, 18 months without any charges. Sri Lanka is one of the most heavily military-occupied parts of the world, and so they're subject to harassment, uh, basically don't have the best work rights compared to um, the Sinhalese majority. And, yeah, that really, really affects the, the quality of life of people who are returned back, uh, even though the government, both Australia and Sri Lanka, say that it is safe for Tamils, but um, on the ground, uh, that's just not the reality for people living there. You've written an article headed, Australia's interest in Sri Lanka extends beyond stopping Tamil refugees attempting to flee. There's a couple of things, I guess, that maybe haven't been mentioned uh, specifically in the article, but um, obviously, yeah, there's a lot more to talk about. But but a key thing is that uh, Australia wants to develop Sri Lanka into an ally and a military hub. 
for the U.S. and allied countries, as it's uh, particularly uh, useful uh, in, middle, in the Middle East or Asia as a port, and particularly to combat China's uh, global economic and military reach, because there's, I'm sure you've uh, read, there's this Australian article that came out recently by Jim Mullen, who was um, the, he was the uh, member of one of the leading forces in the coalition forces in Iraq, and he recently published a, an op-ed in the Australian banging war drums and saying that we need to prepare for war with China. And uh, I think that's a growing sentiment that a lot of people um, across the world in Western nations are trying to push. And I find that um, really, I find that a bit baseless and also just um, hysteric. Um, and it seems like they're just repeating the same mistakes of the war in the Middle East of just, you know, perpetuating the same cycles of war. And yet, uh, yeah, Sri Lanka is a very, um, it's a very kind of treasured spot in that uh, it has uh, a number of key ports there, particularly Trincomalee Harbour, which is in the uh, the north of the island, which was uh, the Tamil Pavi Island, that can um, host really large navy vessels. Australia in 2019, they held uh, the Indo-Pacific Endeavour, which was four-day military exercise between Australia and Sri Lanka, where they had uh, four large Australian Navy boats and many um, Sri Lankan boats as well. Um, they were training the Sri Lankan, uh, not just the Navy, they were training the Air Force and the military as well. And it seems like they're really, uh, you know, through through boats, through arms, through surveillance. Uh, recently, they've given five aerial drones to the Sri Lankan police. They are really building up Sri Lanka to be uh, a formidable ally in the region. I don't think it's far to say that... Um, if there's any uh, rising tensions uh, between any other countries in that region, that um, Sri Lanka will uh, definitely play a key part in um, fulfilling any of um, uh, Australia's or the US's interests in that region. But those governments and those government members of Sri Lanka have got a very bad human rights record. Is Australia is just ignoring that? Uh, yeah, I think that, um, yeah, it, it's quite a... Uh, interesting to note that uh, Australia has uh, knocked back some key uh, Sri Lankan political uh, members who were involved, who were uh, in power during the time of the genocide in 2009. So there is some acknowledgement that, you know, there is credible uh, accusations of war crimes to these people. However, obviously accusing a president or denying a president a visa is obviously a bigger political issue. So that hasn't happened. But uh, Australia seems to want to play it both ways. They have acknowledged, you know, when there's really, really strong evidence, they've obviously acknowledged it because it seems like they can't deny it on certain ends. But they're very willing to continue to work with um, the Rajapaksa regime, two key key members who were uh, in power uh, during the time of the genocide as well. And yeah, it, it seems like uh, they're very, very happy to do business with, with Sri Lanka, despite all these uh, credible claims from um, multiple human rights groups across the world. And we haven't spoken about the situation for the, the Tamils in the north and the northeast yet. That's the sad story of the ending of that war. Yeah, so uh, in the closing days of the war, the Sri Lankan military was pressing uh, into the, the north and the east, the traditional homelands of the, the Tamil people. Uh, and where the um, the LTTT were, were fighting the, the government, and um, there they uh, the Sri Lankan government said that there would be uh, certain sections where they would consider no fire zones. They asked um, the civilian population to go there, and if they went to those certain areas, they would be um, safe from government shelling. But conversely, they also asked 
media and human rights groups to vacate those areas completely and to come into the government into the government's lands. Um, so that's obviously a bit peculiar, but um, yeah, not surprising as what followed. So then the government was shelling indiscriminately into no-fire zones where um, civilian population was. There was hospitals, there was uh, schools. The first estimates that the UN put out were saying that uh, around 70,000 people were killed, but then um, uh, a more credible uh, estimate that was put forward afterwards was at least 140,000 people were killed, civilians. And that is what we call the genocide. We hold a, um, a genocide, a Tamil Genocide Day rally around May 18, which is commemorating Mulibakal. Mulibakal is the place where um, a lot of these people were massacred. And yet most recently, and as every year, we, we call on uh, the Australian government to stop aiding Sri Lanka in their genocidal regime, which is continuing. And we're seeking uh, justice for the Tamil people uh, in Tamil Elam. And not just that, the Australian government is punishing the, still punishing the refugees who have managed to come here to Australia. And just recently, they've invoked far more draconian laws for asylum seekers. Yeah, they have. It, it seems like it. And the Labor government obviously has just uh, rolled over for that and supported uh, the Liberal government anyway. Um, it's this uh, fast tracking of uh, visa, uh, not visa, but uh, fast tracking of applications for uh, refugee statuses, as, as I know it. And that's just really detrimental because it, refugees in general, or particularly Tamil refugees, are being forced to go to court really, really quickly, whereas they felt like they had an, they had more time. And now, yeah, the government is trying to basically just uh, get them through as quickly as possible. And obviously, you know, we really question how effectively they can process these things if they have some really, really quick deadline in order to get these out. It doesn't seem like they're actually doing their due diligence. And it just seems like another instance where, where both major parties are just willing to throw refugees under the bus to kind of fulfill a quota or to um, wash their hands of um, of the very real lives of people. Um, it's very easy just to think of refugees as others. But, uh, you know, these are our friends. These are people that are living in the community currently. Like, yeah, these are people that live here. These are Australians. These are Tamil people. And they're deserving of respect uh, regardless of uh, the circumstances that brought them here. This just seems another example of Australia going against a lot of the world trend with our human rights stance and affecting so many people. I'm not particularly surprised because you know, this country uh, is finding it difficult, uh, particularly governments, is finding it really, really difficult to acknowledge the past atrocities of uh, how this country was colonised. It feels systemic that we can't even, you know, talk about our own issues. It's not surprising that there's, uh, that people, uh, the government is uh, ill-equipped to uh, talk about these things and face these things head on and actually seek uh, justice for people that were wronged and uh, to obviously make sure these things don't happen again. There, there is uh, hopeful signs um, of resistance all over the world, of Tamil communities all over the world, including uh, in the homeland of Tamil Elam, where there was recent protests. About uh, 50,000 people marched uh, in February, 50,000 uh, Tamils and Muslims marched in solidarity over 700 kilometres, and they were protesting uh, the Sri Lankan government's uh, you know, draconian uh, treatment of um, minorities on the island. 
and that uh, is a really hopeful sign for us. And I think that um, that continued struggle is inspiring the Tamil diaspora across the world to hold um, the countries that we are a part of, which are continually um, contributing to the oppression of Tamils on the island. So particularly like uh, in Canada and the UK uh, and also here in Australia, um, there's a strong Tamil community and strong um, leftist community that is uh, supporting Tamils, uh, trying to seek justice and hold our, uh, our government to account. Um, and I think that's the only way that we will be able to do that because, yeah, really we can do it is uh, together and um, trying to force the government to um, uh, make concessions to us. Where are all your energies and your friends' energies at this moment? Our friends' energies uh, and myself, I guess, uh, we're focused on both individual cases uh, of advocacy of Tamil refugees and those issues, as well as uh, trying to create systemic change. Um, we're trying to educate uh, more of the public to understand uh, the issue and uh, why they should vote a certain way and also be making considerable actions because uh, I think that um, voting is the least you can do or is just the start of your um, political actions and trying to get people more knowledgeable and uh, fighting for uh, what they believe in because, you know, a majority of people do agree with fair and just treatment for refugees, but a lot of them just, uh, you know, don't know what, what to do or um, are a bit swayed by um, the rhetoric uh, of the government, which is really, really strong. So I think it's it's really up to us and, and other groups to try and um, put, push a more um, uh, open and inclusive agenda. Where can you direct people to find out more about this? Well, you can visit uh, the Tamil Refugee Council website. You can follow us on Facebook where we um, we post consistently uh, press releases and uh, information about the Tamil struggle uh, here and uh, worldwide. A great documentary, which is quite difficult to watch, though, but it's called No Fire Zone, uh, which details uh, the final days of the war and gives you a small slice as to um, what happened during that time. Thank you. Thank you, Jan. And Barathon is a member of the Tamil Refugee Council based here in Melbourne. G'day, my name is Margie Thorpe. You are listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 on your dial. We're listening to Refugee Radio on 3CR. And again, a reminder that Radiothon is starting tomorrow, the 7th of June, for our community language shows. Now we're going to be listening to another recording from Road to Refuge. We did listen to some recordings last week. We're just going to be listening to a short one, which is from a family. And it's about their experience in COVID, which is all of the stories from this Shifting the Story project, which is produced by Road to Refuge. Please have a listen. COVID has impacted our life in a huge way. We have learned so many things and we are not alone in this. It's almost gone. Hello everyone, myself Jajbir Singh. Hi, I am Roop Sidhu. Hi, and I'm Noor. And we all live together in Napping in this beautiful house. When I came to Australia, I started working as a security guard, but there was a passion to be a lawyer one day. I just finished my law degree and then COVID came in and everything stopped. I came to Australia after getting married 
now I am an essential worker in the food industry. I moved to Australia in 2016 and when COVID came along, I was working in a general practice. The thing is, when COVID hit us, it was just a shock. Suddenly, I, there was no work for me and life stopped for me. Suddenly, I'm sitting at home doing nothing. Being the major income owner of the house, it was a terrible shock and all, everything was just hurting me. He is the main owner in the home. I am doing just like a casual worker, 25 hours in a week. I just feel like whole things on on me, like like how do I handle all of them. In the starting, we had argument, lots of arguments because of this tight situation. And initially I thought like, oh man, I'm sitting at home and it's gonna be hell. But slowly we helped each other. We developed some new passions or new hobbies because both of them are essential worker and uh, I, was home all the time, so I tried to feed my family. I've tried to cook a lot and I took the whole responsibility. Suddenly I realized that I'm a really good cook. <laughs> now uh, I have a passion for that now. I experienced a different look of judge. Like he's in the kitchen and I was sitting and eating. And this is the amazing experience in my life. I have a new passion for plants. Uh, my house is full of indoor plants now. And I just learned one thing from this COVID. The life is not a race and we have to enjoy it as much as we can. Yeah, we never thought that it would be so yeah. fun and, you know, even not going out. So initially we thought, yes, okay, we're not going out, we are stuck at home. But now we can enjoy even a little thing, you know, even, okay, we planted something, we're enjoying that. So we have learned to, you know, get happiness from those little things that we never thought that we would be able to. The personal enrichment, the small, the joy from the small things has like enriched us so much. COVID taught me like there is something in within me as well. I should care about that more. How, how, how I am as a cook? What He's getting guys? there. Oh my God. <laughs>Cr's annual Radiothon fundraiser launches in June, and this year, we're asking you to be part of community-powered radio. It's only with your support that we're able to be independent, community-controlled, and focused on people rather than profits. Your support during Radiothon powers the station to give voice to hundreds of people and issues for another year. And remember, any amount you can afford makes a big difference, and all donations over $2 are tax-deductible. 3CR Radiothon. Show your support during June 2021. 3CR Community Powered Radio. You're on Refugee Radio on 3CR and we're just listening to a recording from the Shifting the Story project from Road to Refuge. We're going to be listening to more from that project next week in light of the current COVID restrictions that had been going on and ones that are continuing. 
So we'll be back next week and again remember it's Radiothon on 3CR, support the station that supports diverse voices, activism and First Nations people. You can find out more on 3cr.org.au. Thanks for listening. Join me, Aya Cry with Ubuntu Voices. Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. on 3CR. Ubuntu is a Zulu word, meaning I am here because you are. Ubuntu celebrates the positive contribution African Australians make to our communities in music, academia, the arts, and everything in between. Come with me on a journey. Ubuntu Voices, every Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. None of us are free. One of us is chained. None of us are free. The Rainbow Door is a free, culturally safe, specialist helpline for all LGBTIQA Victorians. The helpline provides information, support and referral from experienced peer workers on issues including mental health, family violence, relationships, suicide prevention and sexual assault. For information, support and referral, call the Rainbow Door on 1800 729 367. That's 1800 729 367, 10am to 6pm every day. Switchboard is a 3CR supporter.